Hello there and welcome to episode 53 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I am joined every week by two gentlemen who are definitely experts to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend and scientist Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother who's also an analyst, Joe Clay. Hello. So the time for theorizing and prognosticating is over. All of our vision boards, our pre-season dream scenarios that we've drawn up for ourselves and hung up above our beds, all of the pre-season expectations and nervous anticipation that have been building can be put to bed. Because like waking up on Christmas morning, the season has finally arrived. Tis the season. And although it's fair to say that one game won't tell the story for the whole season ahead in either a good way or a bad way, there was this gritty realism on Saturday evening that watching the first competitive game in a few months brought. All of the flights of fancy and the dreaming were suddenly grounded in real-life football happening in front of my eyes. And I think it's fair to say that regardless of the result, there is work to be done ahead of us all. But before we get to our post-match autopsy, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. We're so grateful that you do listen to this podcast in spite of what I said at the very start. We're not experts. We're just fans of West Bromwich Albion, having a few conversations, enjoying ourselves as we do. And we hope that you enjoy our conversations as well. And all that we ask in return is that you share the podcast. You can share it via word of mouth. You could share it via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter profile, whatever you do. You can wear a placard and stand in the streets if you feel that is necessary. But please do share the podcast to get it to new ears. We really do appreciate every single one of you. But it's no secret that we appreciate you more if we find out that you shared it. You can also support the podcast, and many of you have been doing this by leaving us a five-star rating on the podcast provider or platform that you listen to us on. We only accept five-star reviews, so we humbly reject anyone that gives us less than five-star reviews, but we really do appreciate it. It helps bolster us up in terms of the list when people search for West Brom podcasts. Not that we want to compete with other West Brom podcasts, but it is nice for ours not to be at the bottom of the pile. So please do give us a review or a rating if you so desire. Right, well, on today's podcast, we are going to discuss our opening game of the season, which was against Middlesbrough at the Riverside Stadium, before we preview our upcoming game at home against Watford. So there's only one place to start, and that is on Saturday evening, 5.30, was it? Yeah, 5.30. Albion played Middlesbrough at the Riverside Stadium, a game that finished one all. Middlesbrough took the lead in the opening 10 minutes. Isaiah Jones took in a cross from the left-hand side, fullback to fullback after a mistake in defence. Middlesbrough kind of saw the Lions' share of possession and threat in the first half before the second half came along and Albion managed to equalise through the two debutants, Jed Wallace playing a ball to around about the penalty spot where John Swift was on hand to first-time finish past the goalkeeper and some last gasp defending from a couple of of Middlesbrough players and the game finished one all I think a lot of people have spoken about this game since and on reflection one all is probably a fair result but we'll start by asking you what did you two make of West Brom's first game of this season 
I think it was a fair result, as you just mentioned. I think it was a game of two halves. I think Middlesbrough were the better team in the first half. I think we probably edged the second half with our first 20 minutes really hammering on their door. And obviously we got the goal. We could have gone two or three, one up in those 20 minutes. But yeah, there was some teething issues in the first half, wasn't there? I think there was teething issues from Bruce, from his point of view, playing Matty Phillips, who didn't really play last season. I don't know how he's got his way into the squad. He's a squad player at best. It had a feeling of very last season team, didn't it? Even with Wallace and Swift in there, it seemed like there was no fluidity. He obviously said something to them at half-time because we came out guns blazing. It was a 100 times better than it was in the first half. Really going down Jed Wallace's right wing. But yeah, it was a game that probably was equal teams. There was no standout players really except a Jay and O'Shea for the Albion. I think Swift played well and took his goal well. Jed Wallace was okay. Dean Garner showed promise when he came on. DK did. But yeah, I think 1-1 suited it. And Bruce and Wilder were happy with that. And I think that's what they wanted, to be honest. Both of them wanted a draw and not to lose. After a very problematic first half, I think 1-1 was a very good result for us. Middlesbrough obviously going to be promotion contenders. I thought the new signing, Swift and Wallace, looked brilliant, particularly like the look of Jed Wallace. I think he's going to be a real threat this season. O'Shea and Ajayi, absolute warriors. There's a page on the wba.co.uk website where it summarises the game. A few points from there. I totally agree that I thought O'Jay and Ajayi, they look really good. O'Jay and Ajayi. O'Jay did you see that um, they've combined Swift and Wallace to, to create Swallis? I'm saying it here, it's Ojoye. I think they copied Horatio's Sagrant last, last week. <laughs> Trademark the Hawthorne Spikes up. Overall, I think it was, you know, I'll take that, take the 1-1. One, one. You know, it's going to be a difficult start to the season. It's an away draw. Can't really complain. Um, it's funny you say that because I feel like it's gonna. I'm gonna sound like I am complaining now because there were certain question marks over elements of the game. I think to get a point against, in most people's eyes, kind of almost title contenders in Middlesbrough. I suppose on paper that's a, a good result, but there were certain elements of it that felt like we were the creators of our own downfall, our own demise. I think the lineup. Uh, it's already been referenced. There was a lot of people scratching their heads over the lineup. I think the inclusion of Matty Phillips was the big question mark. And I think that when the game started, those areas of weakness that we'd all spoken about in the summer and, and were well documented amongst the fan base, the right back position with Darnell Furlong, Matt Phillips is just where does he fit into this whole team? And then central midfield. Now, admittedly, Yukushu is going to come into that central midfield. And I think that will kind of solve a lot of the issues that we saw on Saturday. Let's talk about that one problem area that a lot of people spoke about, the right-back situation with Darnell Furlong. Obviously, he's at fault for the goal in some respects. Still a long way to go before they score the goal, but he does lose possession of the ball, fails to deal with it, and then kind of runs into trouble. And then they exploit the space behind the ball's crossed in and obviously it's a very very neat finish Darnell Furlong's come under major criticism there do you think Bruce will look at that and think there's something there that needs to be addressed or what do you make of that whole situation I don't think he will, to be honest. I think he's blind if he doesn't. And I think he deserves criticism if he doesn't. Because Berlon walks into the squad every week without any competition. It's not healthy for him. And that's why he's probably 
He's a decent football player. He's a decent championship football player, but he's making a lot of mistakes and he didn't have a great season last season. Is that down to he hasn't got anybody competing for his place, so he's coming complacent? I think it's healthy in a squad who should be playoffs or promotion, have good players for each, a couple of good players for each spot. And we have got that over the top end of the team. We've got a lot of players who are competing. Even in midfield, we've got a few players who are competing there. They're all kind of decent players. But... At right back and at left back, we haven't really got them and we use them a lot. We did last season. I, I I think we will this time with Jed Wallace. Erlong needs to have a great relationship with Jed Wallace so he can overlap. It doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem to have, it doesn't seem to be on the wavelength. I know obviously gelling takes time, but I think it is healthy to get someone to compete with Erlong. Not saying he's going to come in straight away, but yeah, it just needs to happen. I remember this time last season, sort of raving about Furlong and Townsend and how they complement each other really well, where you've got Townsend's more of the kind of crosser of the ball and like swinging it in, whereas Furlong's the marooning like right back who kind of, you might see him at the back post scoring a few goals. I don't know what happened, but he kind of got worse and worse. And I do think the first half against Borough, I think he, he tried to push too far forward. And then in the second half, I did notice that he was dropped back a bit. And I, I do think with the, the formation that Steve Bruce is currently playing, that I think he's better suited especially with Wallace's credentials to play a bit deeper back. So I think Furlong's a solid player for the championship. You know, it's probably safe to get some competition for him in case he gets injured. But I do think if he drops back a bit, leaves Wallace to do all the, you know, the attacking work, you know, I think he'll be okay. And I think he can fit into a title contending team. I think you're right there, Alex. It's clear that we shifted from the back three to the back four now. And I think when you're in that back four, there's less reliance on the wing backs to provide width and to kind of join the attack. And I think that in some ways, that's a sensible decision from Bruce, I think, because I do think that you've got players further up the field like Wallace and whoever's going to play on the left-hand side, Phillips, obviously on Saturday, but I just can't see that really being a long-term selection. And I think they naturally provide that width and I can see Furlong and Townsend being used in a more defensive role. I guess it's quite a major shift in the way they've played for the club, though. And maybe there's an element of transitioning into this new role. That being said, the shift from a back three to a back four, in one respect, has been a massive success. Semi Ajayi and Dara O'Shea, as you both already referenced, were absolute warriors on Saturday, both putting in man of the match performances, in my opinion. The statistic I read about Semi Ajayi just that's doing the rounds on the internet was that he completed more tackles than the entirety of Middlesbrough's team put together. With OJ, I do think that we've got a new, hopefully a consistent pair of centre-halves there. Because I think it's so critical, so important to have consistency in defence, to build that relationship with the goalkeeper. If you look at all the great teams of history, they've always had a really great centre-half pairing. And I think, you know, O'Shea and Ajoye, they can do that for us this season. I totally agree. Totally agree. I think it's a, a, a real area of strength in the team, but then being paired with probably the biggest weakness in the team, the fullback. So I think the defence overall is probably par for the course, to coin another phrase. On the flip side of the coin, there was a number of players that kind of came in for a, a little bit of cr- criticism. We were on our WhatsApp chat during the matchup, and one of the players that came up for discussion was Carlin Grant. A really, really difficult game for Carlin Grant, in my opinion. A lot of the 
problems that we saw last season with the number nine role, that central figure, really isolated a lot of long balls up to him, which just isn't his game. It's well known that he operates better off the left-hand side on the last defender's shoulder, ready for those killer balls through. And we saw some of them in pre-season. Then to see him as the centre piece of the forward line, trying to deal with these punted ball forwards, just looking at the statistics in terms of his aerial duels, he was largely or nearly completely unsuccessful in challenging for those duels. And I just felt like if you're going to play Carlin Grant, you need to play him to his strengths. And I don't think the way Bruce set us up was anything remotely close to playing to Carlin Grant's strengths. And I, and I think it's not a negative performance from him. I, do, I feel like he was set up to fail almost. Yeah, I totally agree with this. Uh, I've seen a lot of negative comments around Carlin Grant's performance. He didn't have a great performance, like you said. It was set up not to complement his football anyway. Even going down, let's say, for example, going down Jed Wallace, putting in crosses. He's never been one to win the ball in the air. He's the one to come in and pick up the pieces and put it in the back of the net. But I'd like to say to some of those negative Nellies out there, he was on the pitch. He's one of the reasons the goal happened because he took away the defenders, leaving Swift to go to the edge of the box. And that's part of his game. People think he's going to be the one pass to because he's got a you know, killer instinct and he can put the ball in the net. And it left with the number 10 there with Swift. And I think Swift is going to pick up a lot of these goals from that reason that Carl and Grant will pull away the defence. But I just think he did a job for us that game. He wasn't successful in Bruce's eyes, uh, putting it up to him. It would never have been successful, and that's why you have DK to do those type of things. Yeah, for me, Joe, the holy grail is to get DK and Carl and Grant on the same pitch at the same time. Because I think when DK came on, created a lot more opportunities for the team. Whereas Grant, you know, he's, I think he does need ball on a plate almost to sort of finish to score his goals, which he can score a hell of a lot of. I really like Carl and Grant. He's growing on me. The more the more time that he spends at the Albion, the more I like him. But I do think you're both right. I, I just don't think we set up to complement the best of him, you know, against Middlesbrough. But I, I think, you know, if we can get them both on the pitch, I think we'll be laughing. I think there is a real opportunity for that as well. I think, obviously, Matt Phillips was kind of a big bone of contention in that game for most fans and really didn't do much to silence the critics. I think he's obviously not the same player he was three or four years ago. And it just seems that that left-hand channel where Colin Grant thrives and has always kind of thrived is a real obvious hole that he could just be slotted straight into there. I think the... Other player that came on in the game, Grady, and, and played on the left-hand side, you can have him there as well. And I think those two in rotation provide different things, but are both equally as threatening. You've got the tricky, skillful winger in Grady Dean Garner, and you've got the very direct, fast finisher in Carlin Grant. I think, I'm scared to say this, but I think a better manager manages that situation better rather than picking option C, which is Matt Phillips, and everyone's scratching their head. Let's speak a little bit about DK, because again, it was a cameo appearance. Steve Bruce has come out since and said that obviously due to the significant and serious injury he had and the size 
of Daryl DK that they're really trying to baby gloves him back into the starting lineup and that makes a lot of sense to be totally truthful thing and I think especially when you do have players who are capable of scoring goals like Carlin Grant I do think like we just said you need to adapt your style based on who's on the pitch you can't just play one way with different players and expect the same result but when DK came on in this kind of more direct approach she seemed to really thrive um, and you can really see what he brings to a team. That Lenahan, the Middlesbrough centre-back, who everyone was kind of raving about being strong and a real physical presence. I swear, since Saturday, he's waking up in cold sweats thinking about Daryl DK because he was bullying him and, like, throwing him around like a ragdoll, really getting the better of him physically speaking, dominating him in terms of strength and pace, and I think just really proving to be a nuisance and that was exciting for me. I know there wasn't any real clear-cut chances for DK. There was nothing really on the plate for him. But just of how much of a problem he seems to be for defenders who are largely lauded as being the in the top echelon of defenders in the championship. And really, I think he, he proved that he's going to be a problem whoever is defending against him. I think this is the thing with Americans. They do proper sporting schools, don't they? Wrestling. NFL, Wrestling. basketball, you know, it's all like physical sports. We do cricket, maybe do rugby, depending on what school you go to. Bit of dodgeball, that's it, and a bit of football. So it's um, he's he's tough though, and he's it, literally he doesn't get moved off the ball, does he? Tables, ladders, and chairs. Uh, I think he's going to be brilliant, but I think Bruce is right. Bring him back slowly, maybe give him a run out, you know, fully in the Sheffield United game in the Carabao or give him a half there just to get his fitness back up. And obviously, he's trying to fight for his place in the USA's World Cup team, isn't he, as well? So he will want to get on there. But sometimes that's not always the best, because that's what happened when he came to the Albion. Obviously, he wanted to show what he's made out of, and he pulled him uh, in. Was it against Millwall? QPR. QPR. So, yeah, we just need to manage this one better than we have previously. I think there's obviously it's our first game back and we're all keen and excited to talk about all the different aspects of the game and perhaps we won't necessarily go into this much detail in future but it, it's the first time football's back so indulge our conversations and you can always skip ahead if you want to but you will be judged if you do I think another interesting position that as I've already referenced probably in the long run this season won't look the way it did against Middlesbrough I thought the midfield of Jake Livermore and Jason Malumbi I think credit's got to go to Jason Malumbi for his involvement in the goal, that tenacity. And the first forward pass I've ever seen Jason Malumbi play in his career. And it what a pass it was. He should do it more often. He should try it every now and again because it, it seems to be fairly fruitful. But that obviously that really aggressive pressing style. Strangely, in the first half, they were very, very passive in the way they approached the game. And him and Jay Livermore seemed to be sat just in front of the back four and occupy a lot of the same positions not really looking to get on the ball not really looking to be that bridge that we've described between midfield and the defense sorry between the attack and the defense and I really didn't notice them almost in the first half I think the second half they definitely I don't know whether they had different instructions or whatever the case may be but they certainly seem to come into the game a little bit more one of the things I think we were fearful of in pre-season and there was many discussions about it not just on this podcast but at large in the Albion fan base was is Jake Livermore a little bit past it now watching Jake Livermore run is painful 
I mean, it looks like it's painful for him to run the way he's run. He's running his gait and his general kind of form while he's running. It looks like it's cumbersome. It's clearly heavy. And, and I just think that although, yeah, when you look at his statistics, come the end of the game, they were OK, certainly better than Malumbi's. But I think you're really seeing now how much of a physically limited player Jake Livermore is. And the scary thing for me was that obviously... He wasn't taken out of the game when we've got more than capable replacements like TGH on the bench. Even when he went down injured in about the 80-odd minutes, he was still left on the pitch. It frightens me how much Steve Bruce seems to be intent on playing Jake Livermore because I think he is and will go on to be one of the weakest players in our entire squad. Now, perhaps that's me, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and what would a podcast be without inflammatory hot takes? But Jake Livermore's performance in this rang alarm bells for me. Firstly, I think Jason Malumbi is going to be the player who plays alongside OK Yakushalu. I think that's where it's heading. But I can understand what you're saying, that it looks like Bruce wants to play Livermore all the time. But Livermore looks like he's wearing boots from the 1940s and he's had water and they got heavier. Like lead in his plumbing boots, he literally can't, cannot. I don't know. He's, he was irritating me. I'd, I'd get really irritated at him, and then he'd do something good. It keep happening, but he can't even pass the ball sideways. He keeps skewing it. I don't think it was fair playing him because uh, we all know he mentioned that he was ill anyway prior to the match. But God, uh, yeah, it is alarming if he is the person who's going to play alongside OK Yakushlu because. Okay, Yakushu is going to be having to do job of two players, really, or maybe a player and a half. That's really interesting what you just said there, because I completely forgot about that. He was kind of definitely not playing, according to Steve Bruce, on Friday because he was ill. And when we was watching him doing in the kind of in the tunnel with the camera on his face, and he walked down to the handshake at the centre circle to do the coin toss, and he was sweating. And I was like, this guy, is he still flued up or is he under the weather? Because it didn't look, he didn't look well. And he played, like you said, like he was running uphill against the current. Like it was really obvious that he was just not physically able for the game. And maybe it was just down to the illness, but I don't know. There was, like I said, I think that's a really good point you've raised there. Yeah, I just think really Bruce should be looking at him as a squad player, filler in player someone in the dressing room to really gee everybody up. But he can't be the one playing with OK Yakushalu because I think Jason Malumbi's tenacity and that progressive football, even though he might go backwards all the time, he does get on people's heels. I think that will work with OK Yakushalu, give him a bit more time to take the ball out. Hands down, I don't think uh, Jason Malumbi's very good. I think football-wise, I think Livermore's a bit better but Livermore has passed it now. And I think it's time to have someone mediocre with a great player like OK Yukushi. I think that works better than having someone past it with a, a great football player. Yeah, I mean, at 32 now, he's no spring chicken. I mean, he's he's a nice guy, isn't he? He looks like he's you know got a decent attitude around the team. But, you know, I think he is past his, well, I don't want to say past his sell-by date because that seems really unfair, really, because these are like people, aren't they? But, you know, I do think that, you know, we should be looking to perhaps inject a bit more energy and a bit more pace into the team. If, if it was me, I would just play, OK, um, Yukuslu, and then play uh, two up top. We're obviously not tactics experts on this podcast. And like the only exposure that I have to tactics is playing football manager. But 
there does seem to be again another shift. I know there's like trends in football and tactics, isn't there? And certain clubs play certain ways. And I think there's merit and legs to what you're saying here, Alex, about playing two up top. I really do. I think you have that romantic notion, don't you, of like playing your system and your way and molding and crafting players to suit your style. And and I guess like by and large, the biggest clubs in the world do do that. But then there seems to be something kind of just on a fundamental level that playing your best players just seems like the right thing to do. And, and I know there's so many cases against that where the best team and the best system find ways to overcome just the best 11 players. But I just remind like the Real Madrid final against Liverpool this season where just they put their best players on the pitch and just let them do their job. And I think there's definitely something complimentary in Daryl DK and Carlin Grant that they both, I feel like they would match up really well. So, I mean, I don't think Steve Bruce will do that. In fact, I think perhaps that's an interesting place to come on to now, the conversation is. And perhaps not to kind of sound the warning alarm or the sirens of doom again, because we had them all last year going, Steve Bruce is on a short leash as far as I'm concerned this season. I think he's earned that short leash. I think he didn't hit the ground with that bump that you want when a new manager comes in. I think he hasn't earned himself a lot of leeway in that respect. One of the big, big positives in Steve Bruce's, like the pros and cons chart that you're doing, your strengths and weaknesses and stuff. He has assembled a fantastic squad and it's clear that the players are enjoying being under his management. My big concern is, is he the man to get the most out of these players? There was a really interesting discussion on the Second Tier podcast, obviously a national podcast, and they predicted Albion to finish, was it fifth or sixth, Joe? It is fifth. Yeah, and Middlesbrough to finish in the top two. And it was, they didn't describe it like this, but there was almost, if you were treating the two teams like an equation and you had the strength of squad on one half and the manager on the other half, is that like Steve Bruce kind of nullifies how good your squad is, whereas Chris Wilder enhances how good your squad is. So like Steve Bruce makes you less than the sum of your parts, whereas Chris Wilder makes you more than the sum of your parts. And I think if you were to kind of build a dream 11 from the 22 players that are on the pitch on Saturday, I think by and large, you'd pick a lot of the Albion, the big names that are in the Albion team. But I think what we're seeing already under Steve Bruce is that because there's no specific style there doesn't seem to be any patterns of play we don't press necessarily we don't seem to have like a way of playing football that's obvious at least maybe there is but it doesn't seem to translate to something that's repeatably observable on the pitch whereas with Chris Wilder it was quite clear from the start he's got his marauding centre backs he's got wing backs that like to press forward there was an aggressive press from the front straight away they're looking to play and build up along the wings Whereas it, with Albion, it, it seemed to be chaotic, like I said earlier. We're not going to get onto the Bruce in and out conversation this early in the season because I don't think that's fair. I do think there needs to be a bit of a, a bedding time, a little bit of a gelling time. But what's the best way to describe it then? There was some cause for concern in what I watched on Saturday. Is that a fair way of describing it? What did you guys make of Steve Bruce's approach to this game? Was there an approach to this game? <laughs> I don't know. I think in pre-season, it seemed totally different. And I think he got scared. He reverted back to trusty players in the first half, like Matty Phillips, 
like Livermore even being uh, sick. He didn't have enough umph about him to go, oh, go on, Jason Lumby, go on, uh, Taylor Garner-Hitman, go out and just show what you, you're made of. Because it was Middlesbrough, I think it would have been different if we were playing someone like Rotherham, for example. So I think he went to his trusty, older, experienced players. For me, Steve Bruce, I, I just don't know. You know, sometimes I'm thinking, you know, he's great, he's steady. You know, he's got a bit of Roy Hodgson about him where, you know, he's uh, been in the game for such a long time now. He must know a lot of the tricks of the trade. But then on the other hand, he doesn't. I don't see him as ever being like a, a fan favourite or I don't think, I can't, I struggle to look in the future and see, remembering the times where Steve Bruce was manager, you know, I just don't think his style, I don't know, he just doesn't fill me with that kind of energy, he's quite lacklustre I would say, but I, I really don't know, I mean I hope he does well and I hope, I mean it does take four or five games doesn't it to run at full speed, get proper match fitness, mixed, mixed feelings really. I think you're right. And I think you've described that really well there, Alex. And I think he's got an opportunity to win over the fans by utilising like attacking, exciting, creative football. And he's certainly now got the players at his disposal to do that. And that's my concern is that we're not going to see that. He's been in a similar position before. It's well documented at Villa with really exciting players and struggled and I think the difference for me between like I think Steve Bruce has got more than enough managerial nous to get us promoted it's just whether that's going to be kind of like dragging us across the line when it's not necessary for this squad of players they should just be there or thereabouts anyway I feel like if you gave any one of the 92 managers in the league the Albion job I would expect them to do as well or better than Steve Bruce which is a bit weird really what what I would say Jamie I'd say I think there's there's worse managers than him in the 72 I would say I would say he's bang average you know he doesn't fill me with you know confidence and I'm not like I'm not telling everyone how much I love Bruce and like you know he's not a fan favourite he's just he's just very keeping it to yourself (laughs) (laughs) yeah but whereas like Billich for example you know you can get behind him because he's so passionate and very like charismatic I mean Bruce has obviously got loads of character in his uh, northern style but I just think he's just he's he's very average should have kept Valerian Ishmael shouldn't we (laughs) <laughs> that's definitely not true I don't know whether it was a forward step going to Bruce it may have been a side step but it's definitely not a backward step because I'm pretty like I'm very very comfortable having Steve Bruce head of Larry Nishmael it was one of those safety chairs you know when you were vac, uh, vac chairs it was just a safety step we went to the side under the safety of someone who has been promoted out of the championship and is kind of reliable and doesn't I'm guessing he doesn't speak back to He's a yes man, isn't he? Yeah, I just think he comes across really well. And I think the players like him. I can understand why you'd bring him in after you've had kind of a tumultuous season under a guy that was rubbing up everyone the wrong way. Why you would bring in a character like Steve Bruce just to get players happy to be in the the dressing room, happy to be at the training ground again, someone who isn't going to be barking instructions at them and getting them to run for miles and miles and miles, giving them a few days off here and there. I think... You needed a, almost like a father figure to come in after someone like Valerian Ishmael. My concern is that the game has passed Steve Bruce by somewhat. He's been kind of exposed that his last three clubs, Villa, Albion and now us, has kind of almost been a little bit tactically archaic. And I think 
the one big credit, like we've already said, is that he's been able to pull together this really amazing squad. And you cannot overlook that that is something of a positive quality in a manager. Like all of the criticism that Sam Allardyce comes under for playing rugged, robust football, which I don't always think is fair or an accurate reflection of what he actually does. But he was able to assemble probably the best team we've ever seen at the Hawthorns in a decade in terms of skill. And I think for me now, I wonder whether these old managers from the mid 2000s would be almost, because of their contacts and the network, be almost great directors of football. And then they get first team coaches in who come and work out how to best utilize and best in employ a system that uses these great squads that these blokes are able to assemble i honestly think steve bruce if he was to move out of the dugout into a board role of a technical director or a a director of football at the albion i'd be chuffed to bits because i think he clear that he can get players through the door i mean can i ask you a science question please What, what what do, you, what do you call it when chemicals don't react or a chemical doesn't react with something? They are inert, I believe. Yeah, so I think he's very inert. Like, I just don't think he's... Uh, he hasn't got anything... He's not outrageous or anything. And I, I agree, Jamie. I think he's very good at perhaps the uh, behind the scenes, you know, running of the club, but perhaps not so good at trying something different, experimenting, creating, uh, inspiring players, perhaps... And I think they also use inert gases to execute people in certain states in America. So there you go. There you go. We will get promoted, not in a horrible one. It's not taking anything away from Steve Bruce. We'll get promoted from individual excellence, you know, in our team, you know, the squad, because he's great man manager, isn't he? If he gets Dean Garner back to his best self, he hasn't been great since the start of Slavens. So if he does that... He was the one who got St. Maximin playing very well as an individual. And if he gets all the other players, uh, Jed Wallace and Swift looking good underneath him on a debut. So I think it won't be down to him. It'll be down to his man management of the players, you know, like putting an arm around them, you know, being, a, like you said, a father figure. I think that will be how he will get us in the playoffs or promoted. I think it's it's almost like, we will get promoted in spite of Steve Bruce in many respects in terms of the tactical approach to the game. Whereas I think like if Middlesbrough go up, it will be very difficult to overlook Chris Wilder's involvement in that. It would perhaps be unfair to talk about this whole thing and seemingly, no, I don't think we've been overly negative, but talk about it a lot um, without saying kind of how exciting Jed Wallace and John Swift looked in this game. We've spoken about that chance that Jed Wallace crafted for himself where he nearly lobbed Zach Stephanie. There was also, obviously, his assist. There was a couple of moments as well where I think even you could see the level of frustration he had with himself where he could have played a killer pass through um, but just got it all wrong. There's frustration with himself with that. His pace looked exciting. Jed Wallace, I think John Swift's skill on the ball, I can see him getting much more involved with a bit more of a, a solid midfielder behind him. I think that John Swift's role as the number 10 was kind of almost compromised by the weakness in Malumbi and Livermore, especially in the first half. But I think you're right, Joe. I can see him seizing a lot more of those opportunities just going forward. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. That's the first game of the season done and dusted with. 
I think, like you said, a point probably overall was about right. I think if we played at our best with our best lineup to start with, I believe we could have got more. But it feels like, I don't know why, but it feels like I'm almost not allowed to say that. You have to just kind of accept the point. But I don't know if I do. I feel like we should have won three points there. That's one thing I'll say quickly for how highly regarded Middlesbrough are this season. I didn't think they looked like anything special. Is that unfair? I think the wing backs were very good, to be fair. Isaiah Jones, I think they worked well, but they've got nothing great up front, really. Oh, I mean, that what more, that chance he missed was, that's criminal. That I mean, killed. that really puts the game to bed if he scores that, I think. Yeah, it would have killed it off. Just echo what Joe said. I think that Giles and that Jones look fantastic players. But other than that, they weren't very special at all. Right, well, that's kind of packaged up all of our match review. There's probably more that could be said. There's probably a lot less that could be said as well. But we'll leave it there for today. I think what we'll do, there's not really much news around the club. No doubt there will be rumours and... Hopefully some strengthening over the next couple of weeks. Maybe a few players will have to leave before that's possible. Okay, well, let's move straight ahead. We've gone from being in the past. We'll go to the future now. Our next game is at home against Watford on Monday night. I watched Watford play against Sheffield United. Now, as much as I just said that I didn't think Middlesbrough anything special, Watford scared the hell out of me. They look terrifying going forward. They've got really, really experienced, solid players in the middle of the park. They've got strength, speed and athleticism all over the pitch. Up front, their front three of Dennis, Jao Pedro and Ishmael Asar. That is, I would go as far as to say, a mid-table premiership team starting like starting forwards. They looked absolutely unbelievable against Sheffield United. I genuinely think that on another day, although Sheffield United had a few moments where they were in that game, I think on another day, Sheffield United could have been beaten out of sight. I really do think that they they did well to only lose that game 1-0. There might not have been many clear-cut chances that they created, but I guess in the same way that Middlesbrough what, had two shots on target against us, but that didn't necessarily reflect how comfortable it was for them. I think Watford were really, really comfortable. And I think they've got players that I'm scared are going to really cause us problems. And I know we've got a Jai and a Jai and a Jai or a Joy and a Joy or whatever which way around it was in the centre of our defence. But I worry that against Darnell Furlong and Connor Townsend, players like Ishmael Asar and Emmanuel Dennis are just going to have free run and really create massive, massive problems for us. At this point, I think it's fairly obvious we're into our preview of the Watford match. Did you guys, have you seen Watford this season? What what are you expecting for this game? Yeah, they look they look very good, don't they? They look like they're going to be there or about anyway. Um, some of those players may not be there at the end of August. But I don't agree with you. Uh, the top three, their three strikers or three forward players would be mid-table because if they were mid-table, they would be still there. They didn't score the goals in the Premiership last season for them. I don't agree with that. I think they're top championship players, maybe relegation zone thingy. But I don't think Saar will be there at the end of uh, August. But we're just unfortunate that we'll probably be playing him when he's in the starting lineup. They look good. They look a bit classy. They don't look as good as Fulham last season, but I think we can handle them. We started off slow. We start off like we were in the second half against Middlesbrough. I think people will be worried about us. I think we're very negative about the Albion because we don't play tiki-taki, you know, progressive football. But 
I think a lot of players coming up against our team, Jed Wallace and now Swift in there, I think people will be scared to play elsewhere at home as well. So do you want me to move into my prediction? You can do. I've got a 3 1 Albion on this. Yeah, I've got 3 1 oh, Albion. That is, that is bold. That's yeah. Alex bold. Yeah, and I think um, it's going to be a J, a J and a Shay. Two goals. I think we're going to get some crosses in corners. And that's where I think we're going to beat them. I think we're going to beat them on set pieces. And I think Swifty's going to score. I think it'll be a very interesting game. I've not seen Watford, but if it was played on paper, they'd have a very strong team and squad. You know, I do think that if Townsend and Furlong played a bit deeper and we've got Wallace, Swift, you know, we're definitely a threat ourselves. I completely agree with Joe that, you know, I think sometimes we, you know, we don't see the wood through the trees. But, you know, I do think that we're a very strong squad, you know, compared to other teams. So I think it'll be a very close encounter. I reckon it'll be 1-1. I'm deliberately being cautious and coy because Joe stole my thunder. 1-1, Grady Dean going a hat-trick though. Yeah, but the, he's going to have a, a hat-trick of disallowed goals. Unfortunate for you, Grady. I am very, very concerned about this match. I think I am perhaps overreacting to the first games of the season in many respects, but I think obviously football is an emotional game, isn't it? And anyone who tries to take that emotional response out of it probably isn't a fan of football. They're just kind of like, I can't just watch it like a robot. And I think what I saw against Middlesbrough and what I saw Watford do against Sheffield United, I think there are their areas of strength play very, very well against our areas of weakness. I think we're more than likely to be overrun in midfield by their, like, Tom Cleverley and the likes. I don't think they're anything special. I just think that experience will play out. And I think they're, the athleticism of their wing-backs, which kind of hurt us against Middlesbrough, their Ken Samer, their left wing-back, I just thought he was an absolute machine running up and down the wing. They just seem to have loads of loads of, like, really strong athletic players. And a really well-shaped squad uh, for this level. Now, I think you're probably right, Joe, whether those players will be there at the end of August is, I think, very, very, very debatable. But they will definitely be there on Monday. Funnily enough, to come back on what you're saying, I think that front three would... You look at the teams that buy any one of these players, I reckon they will go to mid-table premiership size. And I don't think necessarily those front three players are the reason they got relegated. I think it's probably an issue of the whole squad not being strong enough. But I do think those players are... The teams that they'll be looking at them will be in that mid-table premiership range. I mean, Ishmael Asar was linked to Liverpool and teams like that just last season. So they really are highly thought of players that we're going to be going up against. I'm feeling very, very concerned about this game. I think that Rob Edwards is an exciting coach, obviously come from Forest Green, another really popular club. I just wonder, are we going to be a little bit exposed in this game without Yukushu playing and potentially our strongest lineup? I think I know how I'm going to feel about this game as soon as the lineup's announced at like seven o'clock on Monday. And if I see Matt Phillips and those characters in it, I feel like I'm going to be feeling really, really upset going into the Hawthorns. Hope there's a great atmosphere, but I think we're going to lose 2-0. Matt Phillips is going to score a hat-trick. What, what did you say? 3-1. So a J.E., a Shea, and Matt Phillips are scoring a hat-trick and it's going to finish 3-1. Doesn't count. Uh, only uh, Matt Phillips' goals count of uh, 0.33. 
Okay, it's cool. Too old. Yeah. And graded Ian Garner's hat trick. So we're actually going to score eight goals against Watford, and only three of them are going to count. Excellent maths on the debate club once again. Right, well, we are keeping a tally this season of our predictions. Very, very soon, you'll be able to view them for yourselves. Do go and have a look at the website, thehawthornsdebateclub.com. It's undergoing some updates, and Alex is doing some wonderful, exciting things on there, so you can go and check it out. There's still more to come. Still very much a work in progress, but there is exciting things to be seen on there in the future, so do give it a look. Follow us on all the social media things, Instagram, Twitter. We're all over that stuff. Um, and share the podcast, if you please, at the start of the season. All that remains for me to say today is a big thank you to you, Alex Collins. Cheers. A big thank you to you, Joseph Clay. Cheers. And a big thank you to you for listening to the Hawthorne Spike Club. We'll see you next week. Sweet dreams.